0: Let's pray. Almighty God, our gracious and holy heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the depth of your love for us. We pray that as we reflect on this part of wisdom from your word, that you'll help us to know your love more and that you'll help us to grow to be better lovers. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. What's your favourite song? Your favourite song. There are lots of songs that I like. Uh, and I keep changing my mind, I have to say, as to what my favourite song is as I get sick of songs or as I discover new songs. But but overall, over the last few years, if you twist my arm and, and you make me confess, I'd say my favourite song is a song uh, by the Melbourne band, Weddings, Parties, Anything. And it's called Step In, Step Out. Uh, it's a duet. It's uh, a husband and a wife are singing to each oh. other and they're singing about how they have to shift work. Uh, so as as she steps out... Uh, As she steps in from work, he's stepping out to work, so they don't kind of cross over. It talks about how they pray for two shifts at the same end of the day and a life that isn't so helter-skelter. There's a lovely line in there they sing, though we can't find the time for talking, it seems we find the time to shout. Uh, I I like the sound of the song very much. Like all great songs, it has a beautiful accordion part. Um, The... uh, (laughs) The interplay of the man and the woman's voice is, I find, really beautiful. And I find it just a moving little snippet of someone's life. What's your favourite song? Do you find that sad songs say so much? Or maybe you want to fill the world with silly love songs. Do you go for angry songs? Or nostalgic songs? Maybe you're walking on sunshine and you like happy songs. Maybe you like praise songs or other songs of the Christian faith. That song we sang earlier, Rock of Ages, I've got to say that's up there as one of my all-time favourites. That's just magnificent, isn't it? Favourite song. Well, as you can see from the heading in verse 1 of Song of Songs, this part of the Bible is called Solomon's Song of Songs. A song of songs means the best song or the favourite song. like you know the expression holy of holies? Holy of Holies means the most holy place. Well, Song of Songs means the most songy song, the, the, the songiest song of all, the, the quintessential song, the most excellent song. And uh, this heading, it also tells us that this song, this best of all songs, concerns Solomon. It's Solomon's Song of Songs, literally. It's the Song of Songs concerning Solomon. Now, it's hard to know exactly how the song concerns Solomon. Now, maybe he wrote it. Or maybe the person who wrote it gave it as a gift to Solomon. So he owns it. It's his song of songs. Or or possibly the author was writing about Solomon. So it's the the best song about Solomon. But my suspicion is that the title means this. This is Solomon's favourite song. As far as Solomon was concerned, this song was top of the pops. The best song ever written. Have a look at me at the heading. Verse 1. Solomon's song of songs now just before we dive into the song itself just a few things that I want to briefly think through with you so firstly notice what this is it's a song it's not a historical narrative it's not a parable it's not a story um, that, that, that should tell us something of what to expect here it, we don't want to necessarily expect some kind of plot development or anything like that. We don't want to necessarily expect some, some kind of uh, h- historical enlightenment. I'm not convinced we're going to be able to come up with a storyline here. This is a song. A song. In terms of the structure of the song, it seems to be broken up into verses. Um, and the verses are separated by a refrain, uh, a phrase that is rep- repeated. So the first time you see the refrain is in chapter 2 and verse 7. Have a look with me there, chapter 2 and verse 7. This is where we'll end today because this is what ends the first verse. Chapter 2 and verse 7. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Uh, The next time you see the refrain is chapter 3 and verse 5. And it's there again in chapter 8 and verse 4. So it's two seven three five and 8, 4. And the refrain divides the song up into verses. We won't quite follow that in our sermon series because one of the verses is very long. We'll divide it into two. But basically, this divides the song up. And it, it's got to also give us a clue what the song is about. Don't arouse love until it so desires. It, it's got something to do with the right timing of love. The right timing for love. Um, Another quick point to make, in your NIV Bible you'll see there are headings. you see there are headings, beloved, friends and lover. If you look at the footnote down the bottom, they explain why they've put the headings and they say that they're debatable. Well, that's true, they're debatable. Um, Those headings are not part of the original text, not like the Psalm headings, which are are part of the original text, you know, for David or something. These are not part of the text. They're put there in 1973 by the NIV translators. Look, they've worked hard at it, but they're just not necessarily right. Uh, For example, the main commentary that I'm using, which is written since the NIV, uh, says that there probably are no friends there at all. And and so far as I've read it, I think that may well be right. So you're just going to need to get used to ignoring the headings. I'm sorry, they kind of blare at you in the NIV, but try to ignore them. Just one more point to make. Um, There has been a long history of different interpretations of Song of Songs, People have understood it to mean all kinds of sometimes bizarre things. Um, and, and this is true with, with many songs, isn't it? Songs, because of the way they're written, because of the kind of the, um, the need for rhyme and, and the need to fit them into rhythm and so on, because of the way they're written, it's very easy to misinterpret songs, to, to miss what the author intended to say. I remember hearing an interview a while ago with the uh, famous songwriter Sting. He was with the band The Police. Uh, he wrote a song about a stalker. It was called Every Breath You Take. Uh, It was meant to be uh, this scary, spooky song about this crazy stalker. But to his horror, most people seemed to think it was a really nice love song. And so they would sing this stalking song to each other at weddings and so on. Just got the wrong end of the stick completely. In In a similar way, there have been lots of interpretations of this song of songs. Uh, Many of them, I reckon, are pretty far-fetched, pretty crazy. But the thing is this. I'm not going to give you much information about the history of interpretation of this song. Uh, If you're interested, go check out the commentaries. They'll give you all sorts of very funny stuff and interesting stuff. But I'm not going to think with you about allegorical versus historical versus narrative approaches or anything like that. Uh, I'm not going to try to give you lots of different interpretations. What what I want us to do together, I just want us to read the song and see what we can see. Uh, Try try to clear our minds uh, and and, and just... Carefully read it together and try hard to understand what does the author mean to say here. It <clears throat> doesn't mean I'm going to be ignoring historical interpretations. We're not the first people to read this song, but I'm not going to share it with you. I just want us, as an exercise, to try to work hard together, what's, what's the author saying? Okay, without further ado, let's dive in. So the song begins with a girl speaking, or singing. Uh, she is thinking about the man she loves. And she is wishing that he would kiss her. Chapter 1 and verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Now, the girl now goes on to address the man himself. She talks about why she wants him to kiss her. She says, your love is delightful. She says, you smell good. But, but the thing is, it's more than his physical smell. She says that his name, his character is like a beautiful smell. This man has about him the, 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 the whiff of good character. And so she says, it's no wonder you are so popular with the girls. Halfway through verse 2. Uh, let me, let me, kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. This girl is pretty keen on the man. And so she sings to him, I want to be your lover, baby. Take me to your place. Be my lover. And notice that she calls him the king. Um, Maybe he is a literal king. Maybe this is Solomon she's talking to. Or maybe in her mind she's a king. She's going to call him a whole heap of other things uh, during the course of the song. Uh, Maybe it's in her mind that that, that, that this man is a king. Either way, she wants him to take me away. Verse 4, take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Now, you notice the NIV heading says the next part is spoken by some friends. They do that because it's now spoken in the plural. It's not I and me anymore. Now it's we. But I reckon it's still the woman talking. Uh, now she's talking about herself and her family, or her friends, other people with her. She goes on to say, look, we, we reckon you're fantastic. Next part of verse 4. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. And the girl says again how popular he is. All the girls love him and she can understand why. The end of verse 4. How right they are to adore you. Okay. So far it doesn't seem too complicated, does it? A girl is singing. It's a a love song about a man. She thinks he's fantastic and uh, she wants him to be her lover. But like with all good love songs, there's a problem. An obstacle. Uh, This bloke is desirable, good odour, good character, popular, but the girl is worried about herself. She's feeling insecure. She's worried about her own appearance. She's worried because her skin is dark. Now, nowadays, we love the look of tan skin, don't we? We go to solariums, or before skin cancer at least, we went to solariums and beaches and so on to make our skin dark, but in those days, it was very unfashionable Uh, because if your skin was dark, it meant that you had to work outdoors. Uh, You weren't rich enough and comfortable enough to stay indoors and have someone fanning you or something like that. Uh, It it reminds me a little bit of the old Chinese custom of uh, growing your fingernails very long. It shows you don't have to work and you never break your fingernails, something like that. Well, that's what's happened with this girl... She's dark because she was sent out to work. She had to take care of her family's vineyards. And so she says, that meant I wasn't able to take care of my own vineyard, by which he means her own body. And so she's feeling insecure. She sings, Am I not pretty enough? Verse 5. Dark am I, yet lovely. Uh, o daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I've neglected. Okay, the girl thinks the man is very desirable, but she's worried about her own appearance. She's feeling insecure. Girl finishes her speech, her her, her part of the song, by trying to set up a date with the man. Uh, She's in her veil, she says literally her cloak, there's nothing unusual about that, that's the commonly accepted dress for a woman. She is grazing her goats, that's fine, no problem with that, but she isn't with her man. She says, I don't want to hang around with your friends and their flocks and their flocks. I don't want to hang around with your friends. She sings, I only want to be with you. So she tries to set up a date. She wants to know where she can find him at midday. Verse 7, tell me you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? According to the NIV, heading the next section spoken by friends. Again, I think that's wrong. It's more likely the man now speaks and answers her question. He starts off by telling her where she can find him. He says, follow some sheep tracks, bring your goats to near some tents. That's where I'll be at midday, verse verse 8. If you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. That's where we can meet, he says. And then he starts to speak to her and he, he talks about how beautiful he thinks she is. She was worried about her appearance. She thinks she's dark. She thinks she's, she's unattractive. But he thinks she's like one of Pharaoh's horses, like the, uh, the, the, the best Mode of transport for the highest king. It, it, modern equivalent, baby, you're a Maserati. Okay? You, you are like a Rolls Royce, something like that. Um, she thinks she looks like a poor person. Dark from hard work, but he says, no, no, you're like a jeweled queen. I, I, I want to shower you with presents. Verse 9. I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold started with silver. Can you see how her insecurity has been met with kindness? The girl now speaks and she uh, it starts to heat up a bit now. She sings about how she longs to be close to her man. Uh, she's still going with the smell imagery. She says, I want you to smell my perfume and, and I want you to be like myrrh, like henna blossoms. They're, they're both perfumes. I, uh, I, want to, I want you to be like a perfume near to me for me to inhale, verse 12. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My lover is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My lover is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. The man responds, he tells her how beautiful she is. Verse 15, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are doves. The girl responds, you're so handsome and charming. Bed is looking very inviting. Verse 16, how handsome you are, my lover. Oh, how charming and our bed is verdant. The man says he'd love to take her home. Their house feels very appealing. Verse 17, the beams of our house are cedars, our rafters are firs. It's all getting very exciting. The expectation is growing. The anticipation is growing. But then in chapter 2 and verse 1, it all comes to a shuddering halt. Because again, the girl is struck by insecurity. She says, Oh, yeah, I might be a flower, but aren't I just like all the rest? Aren't I just like one flower in a million in a place like Sharon? And I just one lily among thousands in a valley. I mean, you're a popular guy. The girls love you. Why would you want me? I'm no one special. Chapter 2, verse 1 I'm a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. This girl's worried that she's just like all the rest, nothing special. But again, the man responds to her insecurity with kindness. He says, You're not like one flower among many. He says, you're like a flower among thorns. He he sings, of all these friends and lovers, there is no one compared to you. Verse 2. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. The man has again calmed her insecurity. And so now the woman speaks again. She says, says, you're not like the rest either. You're like an apple tree in a forest of ordinary trees. She says, I'm desperate to to, to be with you. Verse 3. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. And so now, if they haven't already, the lovers come together and, and it's, it's described beautifully. He, he covers her over with love, he gives her the, the security, the protection of love. And she says, I'm, I'm, I'm faint with love. Give me something sweet to eat. I'm so faint. Verse 4. He's taken me to the banquet hall and his banner over me, his covering, his protection over me is Love strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, I am faint with love. Now the woman gives a beautiful image. She talks about how she is resting in her lover's arms. He's got his arms around her. She is safe, she is secure, and she can rest. Verse 16, his left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. And so now the verse concludes with a refrain, this, this refrain that, uh, that uh, divides up the song. The girl sings, this love thing, it is powerful stuff. It's not something that you should mess with until it's ready. This crazy little thing called love, you just can't handle it. it it's like a sleeping dragon. You don't want to arouse love until the time is right. You've got to be ready. Verse 7. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. All right, there it is. The first verse of Solomon's favorite song. This woman is is, is desperate to be with her man. She thinks he's magnificent, but she's insecure about how she looks. But as the man is kind, as he tells her how beautiful and special she is, that the scene grows in passion until after one more attack of insecurity answered by the kindness of the lover, she ends up resting securely in his arms and she finishes with her charge, Don't mess with love. Make sure the time is right and you are ready. Well, I've got to say, I like this first verse so far. I, I love it. I love the passion of it. I love that God would put this in his word. God is not stoical. God is not dull and boring. God is not vanilla. He's not bland about things like love. No, no, no. God invented this passion and this longing and this singing I hope as we look at this song together over the next few weeks that we will be encouraged as lovers, that we'll be encouraged not to be boring or bland or feelingless about love. I also love the picture of insecurity here. That's very realistic, don't you think? This picture of the girl being insecure about her looks, of her feeling like she's nothing special. That is a lot of girls, isn't it? Not just girls, is it? But but this is more than just realistic. There is a great theological depth here. This insecurity it goes to the heart of our problem in relationships. You see it in our first reading. You go back to the garden. You go back to Adam and Eve, and they are, it says, both naked, and they felt no shame. There was no fear, no insecurity in their relationship. They weren't worried that one would put the other down or tease the other. They didn't have things about themselves that they were to be ashamed of. They were both naked and they felt no shame. That is not relationships today, is it? That security, that rest, that peace, it's gone. Even in the best of relationships, it was lost when Adam and Eve sinned. And we long to have it back, don't we? We long to be in a relationship of secure love, where we are known, warts and all, and still loved. We long to be in a relationship of, of, of love where we don't have to fear. Love where we can find rest. And so I love the picture of this chapter where she finds A glimpse of rest as he meets her insecurity with kindness. And I love the lesson. Don't arouse love until it's ready. Until you are grown up enough to offer this kind of secure love. Well, friends, as we think about applying this passage to ourselves, let me say two things. Two things about this concept of secure love. First, this passage Look, it's not about Jesus, it's a love song, but it points us to Jesus, doesn't it? We are not naked and unashamed anymore. And that is because we hate and hurt each other and it is because we have so much to be ashamed of. Not just physically, but morally and spiritually. God sees us, what's and all, And yet God has demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died knowing us intimately to take away our shame. Jesus offers us a secure love. The Bible says nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus offers us a love that meets our insecurity, a love where we are known and yet loved, a love in which we can rest. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest. Friends, there is a secure love. A love even more secure than that of the lovers here in Song of Songs. A love that can take away your shame. A love that can take away your fear. A love in which you can find rest. So friends, put your faith in Jesus. Experience this secure, eternal love where God knows you and responds to your insecurity with kindness. That's the first point of application, the love of Christ. The second point of application I want to make is this. As people who know the secure love of Jesus, this is the kind of love that we need to offer. I like the lover here in Song of Songs. As we face up to other people's fear and insecurity, that is not something we should exploit. As we meet with other people's weakness and fear, we should not meet that with indifference or contempt. We shouldn't use it as an opportunity to make ourselves feel better. and no, no, we should grow up enough to offer secure love. Now, this applies to more than just sexual love, as we'll see in a moment, but it does apply to sexual love. You can see from the passage how powerful sexual love is. As lovers, we can really hurt each other. I mean, imagine in this song. The woman is is passionately longing for this man. I love you, I love you, you're so magnificent. But then in her insecurity, she vulnerably opens herself up and she says, I'm so sorry that I'm dark. You know, my own vineyard I've neglected. Can you imagine if the bloke says, don't worry, blackie, you can borrow some of my sunscreen. Can you imagine how hurt she would be if he didn't meet her insecurity with kindness? We need to learn to offer secure love. As a starting point, that means we should offer the security of marriage for our sexual love. That is vital. If you cannot make a promise to a person to be in a secure relationship, it's not the time for sexual love. But but it's more than that. We need to learn to meet our lover's insecurity with kindness. Now, lots of applications to this. Let Let me just apply it, though, to husbands. Husbands, husbands, listen up. We need to learn from the lover in this song. We need to find our wives beautiful. And we need to honestly declare that to be the case. The reality is, beauty is socially conditioned. And as the saying goes, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And so, friends, it doesn't matter what your wife looks like. It actually doesn't matter at all whether she's old or young or fat or thin or dark or fair you the beholder are beholden by God to offer her the secure love of finding her beautiful God has given you your wife as your unique beauty she should to you be the standard of what is beautiful anybody else in any way that they are different from your wife should be less than beautiful she should be the standard Of what is beautiful, because God has given her to you as your unique beauty. So, friends, don't tell her to lose weight or use Botox or something, no (laughs) no. Tell her she is beautiful and mean it. And if you don't mean it, change your standard of beauty into the into line with God's word. Meet her in security with secure love, with kindness. Now, I'm sure this is true for more than just beauty, and I'm sure it applies to wives as well as husbands. Sexual love needs to be secure love, or it's going to hurt. And, of course, this doesn't just apply to sexual love, does it? This applies to friendships. And I reckon... I mean, this is not a church full of Australian culture by any means, but Australian culture gets this really, really wrong. The whole idea that you be a friend by teasing or mocking or knocking, as we call it, is just an abomination it's all about putting ourselves up while we put others down and i do not think it should have a place among christians we should be faithful kind friends not knocking friends because this is vitally important for parents isn't it and for grandparents and we can really really damage your children by rejecting them by teasing them by meeting their insecurity with harshness or indifference. We need to offer secure love. We need to grow up as parents and grandparents and have the maturity, the other person's centeredness to offer secure love. Friends, the girl in this song, she has it right. Love is powerful stuff. You should not mess with it until the time is right. And here's how it is this is the fact. If you cannot offer secure love, You are not ready. You are not mature enough to be a good lover. You will be a bad friend and a bad parent and a bad lover. If you cannot offer secure love, you are going to hurt someone. You are dangerous. Don't arouse or awaken love until it so desires. That's the message of this first verse of this song. And so, friends... We've got to know the secure love that Jesus offers us. We've got to accept that love, learn from that love and in response to that love, grow up, mature and be able to offer other person-centred, kind, secure love. Let's pray. Our gracious, holy, loving, heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that even though you know us, naked, not able to hide anything from you. You know us with all our sin, with all our shame, yet you have responded to us with kindness and with love and have given Jesus to die on the cross and rise again from the dead that we might be cleansed, clothed in white, made pure before you. Thank you that you have loved us with a secure love. We pray that in response to your love, you would help us as friends, as lovers, as parents, to be able to offer secure love to others, love that meets the insecurity of others with kindness, love in which people can find rest. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.